Brian McClanahan Show, episode 394. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. You can find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. While you're there, give me an email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, and a free audio book of the same title read by yours. Truly, you can support the show by going to mcclanahanacademy.com, mcclanahanacademy.com. It's always free to enroll. You get a free class, 10 Myths of American History when you do enroll, and you get the best deals on new and forthcoming courses. I will have a new course out in February, almost guaranteed. The new course will be out in February. It'll be first the first part of an awesome four-part class on the Constitution. And looking at what we're facing in 2021, 2022, 2023, look, anytime, that is a good course to have. What we need are people that understand original intent, and that is going to give it to you. It's going to be a supplement to my American Constitution's class, but we're going to get in some primary documents. It's going to be an awesome class, so look for that in February. If you're a McClanahan Academy subscriber, you are already getting the best deals on it when it comes out. Also today is, next three days, I'm running a flash sale. So if you're listening to this podcast January 19th, 20th, or 21st, We've got Lee Jackson week, so I'm running a flash sale on my war and reconstruction class. So if you uh, use the coupon code Lee, you're going to get a great deal on that class. You're going to get both classes together. So it's a it's a bundle class. You're going to get both classes for $199. So go on out to McClanahan Academy, click on that. War and Reconstruction Bundle, use the coupon code LEE and get that bundle deal. $199, it is awesome. You save $100 off the class if you purchased both classes individually or $50 if you purchase them together. So it's a great deal. Use the coupon code LEE. Uh, you can also support the show by clicking on that support tab at, at brianmcclanahan.com. Um, you can click on the shop tab. You can get my Brian McClanahan Show gear, all kinds of cool stuff. Uh, also, the best way to support the show is to share this podcast around on social media, rate it wherever you get podcasts, watch the YouTube, comment on the YouTube, send me show suggestions. I'm going to try my best to do two shows a week. As I've said before, I'm back at my full-time job, so it's a little more difficult right now. But uh, this is uh, something we have to do. And look, with the stakes as high as they are right now, for thinking locally and acting locally, this is important. Now, I am going to talk about Joe Biden in this episode. And I'm going to make some predictions, and I'm going to draw some comparisons. And look, you've probably heard some of this stuff before, but I think historically speaking, Joe Biden is an interesting, an interesting person to become president. Because I think the last time you saw this, and I posted this on social media weeks back, the last time we had a president from Pennsylvania, interesting things happened. When you look at James Buchanan and Joe Biden, I think there's a lot of similarities. And I think they're stepping into the office in a similar situation. Now, do I think after four years of Joe Biden, we're going to be facing a pending open war between 
sections in the United States? I don't think so. First of all, we don't really have sections anymore the way that it used to be clearly defined. I do think there is a South, and I think there's a North, and I think there's a West. I think these things exist. But within these states, you certainly have pockets of problems if you're just saying we need to have an independent South, for example, or we need to have an independent West. Well, if you're going to say Georgia needs to leave the Union, what do you do with Atlanta? The only reason that Purdue and Loeffner lost in Georgia is because of Atlanta. And you look at Atlanta, what, I mean, you look at the composition of Atlanta with a tremendous number of outsiders, non-Georgians, native Georgians living in that area. I mean, there's a reason why those areas are such targets for the Democrat Party right now. And I think that the Democrats just out-hustled the Republicans in the state of Georgia. Many Georgia Republicans are just completely stupid. But just not just that, they were out-hustled. We know that there are some things that are going on with Stacey Abrams and her sister. They've made it very, very easy to uh, present potential fraud. Now, I mean, whether it's fraud or not, nobody, I mean, none of this is going to be proven. This is what I've said. I know I've seen comments, why don't I believe in the, in the, in the fraud? Well, because it's going to be very hard to prove. Across the board, it's going to be hard to prove. 1960 was a clear example of Nixon having a, in many ways, a, I think an, an open and shut case that there was fraud. But he sent lawyers. They sent lawyers into Illinois. They sent lawyers into Texas. They sent lawyers all over the place. They couldn't find enough evidence conclusive evidence to show it. Now, that's what you would need in this 2020 situation for Trump to outright say that he lost because of fraud. It's just not there. There's not enough evidence there. You have a bunch of sworn affidavits, but that's it. There's no other evidence, really, that would show this. And I mean, the Democrats are going to explain away all these other irregularities as something, well, you can say this, you can say this, you can say this. So it's too much circumstantial and not enough concrete. And I, this is what I've been saying from the beginning. So Look, even Jimmy Carter in a commission on elections said that mail-in voting invites fraud. We know this happens. We know that I'm sure there was a bunch of ballot harvesting and fraud going on here. Things were happening, but you can't prove it. So the Republicans have to move along or figure out how to game the system of the way that the Democrats did in 2020. The last time that there's another historical parallel here, the Democrats were gaming the system in the 1830s, and then you had the Whigs. And the Whigs in 1840 figured out how to outfox the Democrats when it came to being people tick. They figured it out. They, under, they, they came up with a formula that led to the election of William Henry Harrison, which gave us the best president in American history, John Tyler. They came up with a way to do it. The Republicans have to come up with the same thing. They have to learn to game the system the way the Democrats are. And right now, the Democrats are just out-hustling them. I mean, look, as much as I despise Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's politics... The fact that she wore out a pair of shoes knocking on doors to people tick, this is what you really have to do in the 21st century. People ticking is becoming important. Now, with larger and larger congressional districts, this is much more problematic, but the Democrats are identifying their core constituents and they're getting these people out to vote, whether legally or not, or ballot harvesting or not, or however they're doing it. They're getting people to put their name down for certain candidates. So the fact is, We've got a parallel there. We've got 36 and 40. What's going on here? The Democrats are figuring out that they can people tick and they can win elections that way. So the Republicans are going to have to come up with a new game plan for 2022. Now, I think their their lives are going to be made easier because the Democrats are going to step in it quite a bit in the next two years. And what I'm going to talk about in this particular podcast are some predictions for at least the first two years of the Biden presidency. And there's an article I'm going to read a little bit of that was published in November 
And Biden is going to present himself, and he already has, as a unifier. I'm a unifier. I'm going to unify everybody. He's not. Joe Biden's not going to do that. His idea of unification is going with the 50, barely 50% of the American population and demonizing the other 50% of the American population. That's not unifying. James Buchanan was much more of a unifier in 1856, 1857 than Joe Biden. And even there, I mean, look, James Buchanan, by becoming, or he's often criticized as being a doe face, a northern man with southern principles. There's a reason why James Buchanan was on that ticket, and there's a reason why James Buchanan won, because he was able to say that, I look, I believe in some of the northern economic positions. I mean, James Buchanan was certainly in favor of protective tariffs for, say, uh, the metals industry in Pennsylvania, iron. He loved the idea of that. But then again, he also believed that the South had constitutional questions that needed to be addressed. Of course, Buchanan was certainly behind uh, getting the Dred Scott decision put forward. And he thought that would solve the whole issue, right? You come up with some legal situation here. Dred Scott says that slavery uh, restrictions in the territories are illegal. They're unconstitutional. He thought that would end it. That was it. And for many Southerners, that was also in their mind. That was it. Because the issue was the territories, never the states. In fact, when you look at the debates over the 13th, the original 13th Amendment, which is the Corwin Amendment, which Abraham Lincoln, by the way, supported 100%, which would have made slavery permanent in the Deep South, they, the, the Southerners said, this is not the issue. We're not worried about what you're going to do in the South. Now, certainly Southerners would stand up and say, well, if you get Lincoln, you're going you're to destroy slavery in the territories, and then that will destroy slavery in the South. But most Southerners were not worried about that. They were worried about extending slavery, and there was a deeper reason, and I've done a whole podcast, I think it's episode 79 or somewhere in there, why slavery. I explained why slavery was such an important issue in the antebellum period, but the important thing about that 1850s period is not the issues themselves, it was how the issues were discussed. We are in a time period here in 2020, again, where half the population are now being called deplorables, terrorists, terrorists. We've got an armed inauguration with nobody there. This is unheard of. And if you look at the violence that was per- perpetrated at the Capitol on January 6th, it paled in comparison to the violence that we saw all summer long in northern cities across the United States. Properties destroyed, burned, looted, people killed. And all the left did was champion these things. They made speeches, Maxine Waters, this stuff is on social media, get out and get in people's faces, be aggressive to Republicans, show them you're not going to take anything. So the Republicans go in, and after a Trump speech, they march on the Capitol, and some people get out of hand. No doubt about it, some people got out of hand. There's a video now of the guy on the horns, I can't remember his name, walking into the Senate chamber, and he's followed by a Capitol Police officer. Hey, you guys just don't do anything. I mean... Is that really an insurrection? Is that sedition? This is what the left and some neocons are running around saying because the, the, the story came home to them. It came to their house. And so they're going to put the full weight of the federal government. They can build a wall in, in less than a day. Yet they're saying they don't have the resources and manpower to build a wall anywhere else. Can't be done. It's, it's impossible. Can't build that. They can build a wall around an entire city. March the military in there. Keep people out in a day. In a day. They can do this. But yet, they can't do it anywhere else. The hypocrisy and the stupidity 
of these people. And I mean, they, they expect you to believe it because the mainstream media is going to be behind all this stuff. They're going to they're gonna show you that, I mean, this stuff is warranted. Look at this. Look how bad this was. Some of it is laughable. The poor woman that was killed at the at the at the Capitol, it, we don't even know who did that yet. If the if the situation if those were lefties in there and the guy shot her, we'd know who that guy was. I mean, he would be fearing for his life right now. But yet the other way around, well, I mean, she deserved it. I mean, this is this is where we are in the double standard that's there from the political class and the left compared to half the American population. So what Joe Biden is going to do, he's not going to unify. He doesn't want to bring that other half of the population into his agenda. Not at all. He wants to enforce his agenda, and he's going to cater. He's going to pander to his, his core base, which is the hard left. Kamala Harris is the most leftist member of the U.S. Senate, or was. And I guess she still is because she's vice president, so she's president of the Senate. So in many ways, she's still the most leftist member of the Senate, even more leftist than Bernie Sanders. She is. I mean, this is this is who the Biden administration is going to lean on. And in fact, that's the whole point. Kamala Harris was despised in the primaries. Nobody wanted her. Nobody wanted her there. The only reason she was put there is because they thought this would boost her image and maybe get her the office in 2024 or 2028 if Biden uh, goes two terms. Again, he is the oldest man to ever be sworn in as president. And when you look at people in their 80s, uh, I mean, look, that's that's getting up there for being able to handle a job like that. So I think Biden's one prediction is going to be a one-term president. That's my first prediction. One term, and but what Biden is going to do is try to institutionalize the left, the hard left. And he's going to do it because he was probably told, look, Joe, we'll get you in through hook or crook. We'll get you in, but then you're going to have to step aside and let us take over. And Biden, knowing Biden like I do, being from Delaware originally, uh, and being around Joe Biden um, in politics and following Joe Biden, he is an opportunist. He, opportunist. All he wanted to be was president. All he wanted to be was president. Just let me be president. He's been trying since the 1980s. He finally gets his wish. And the, the deal was, I'm sure, behind the scenes, do what we tell you to do to get the left institutionalized and then we'll move forward from there. So you look at what he's touting, the most diverse can- cabinet in the history of the United States. Okay, I mean, that's that's leftist talking points. Uh, he's already said, and this is, I'm going to go to this article. If he really wanted to be a unifier, he wouldn't do this. Okay, he wouldn't do this. But there's an article. Uh, let me find it here. I had it pulled up. Uh, Joe Biden administration likely to overturn controversial Donald Trump diversity training executive order. This is November 8th. So it is right after uh, the election. November 8th. Joe Biden has already said he's going to issue a slew of executive orders, and this is going to be one of them. A Joe Biden administration would likely scrap an executive order from the Trump administration that restricts the federal government and its contractors from offering diversity training that President Donald Trump labeled divisive and un-American. Trump's executive order, which affected government agencies, Fortune 500 companies, educational institutions, nonprofits, and any others that have federal contracts or plan to apply for them, had almost an immediate had an almost immediate chilling effect on reinvigorated efforts to address racial disparities in the workplace after the death of George Floyd, a black man, under the knee of a white officer in Minneapolis in May. I think it's highly probable that this executive order will be rescinded in fairly short order. Franklin Turner, a partner with the law firm 
But Carter in English, who represents multinational contractors and small and medium-sized companies, told USA Today, well, how would this guy know that unless it's already been telegraphed? But I think this is what the left wants. I mean, this is put, being put out there. you got to get rid of this thing. Now, if Biden wanted to really be a unifier, he wouldn't get rid of this because this thing does create a divisive climate in the business and educational world in the United States. Because when you look at what's being offered in this, since Trump was right about it, 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 it Trump said this uh, during the debates. Uh, I mean, he said exactly what people are thinking about this, if, if people that have attended it, and if you see the videos and other things that are going on. that have to do with this. So this is prediction number one. Biden is going to get rid of this thing. And that's not a unifying move. That's a divisive move. That's that's pandering to his base and saying, I'm with you on these particular issues. Now, this look, nobody wants any type of racial discrimination or anything in companies, educational institutions. I think that that's unproductive. If you want the best people, if you want to have a society that has a natural aristocracy, then you want the best people in the best positions. And following a line that would say that you know, we're going to discriminate against these people because of X, Y, or Z doesn't get you that. Now, we, I know this goes on. Certainly this happens. But these uh, educational, quote-unquote, educational seminars are not targeted at that. They're targeted at demonization and, of course, uh, guilt. And I think that's the problem with all of this. So certainly... Uh, this is something Biden is going to do. Another, another obvious thing that's happening here is the he's elevating, uh, he's creating a new cabinet position. But certainly, um, one of the things he's going to do is go after "quote unquote" climate change, climate change, and the Green New Deal is going to get passed sooner rather than later. Biden's all for it. He's already said he's canceling the XL, the Keystone Pipeline, which of course the idea was to get a cooperation between Canada and the United States in terms of fossil fuels. We're going to see the Green New Deal pass. And what does that mean for America? Well, it means $4 a gallon gas. Now, for many Americans, that won't matter. It won't matter because for urban Americans in particular, at least they think it doesn't matter. It is going to matter to them. But right now, they don't think it matters because they don't drive cars. This is the urban world split. This is why I said we're in the 1850s rhetorically. We've got people demonizing each other all the time, calling each other horrible names on both sides. There's no coming back from that in some ways. But on, on the other hand, the split is urban-rural. It's not north-south anymore. Urbanites don't really care about $4 a gallon gas because they don't drive cars. Those that have to drive into the cities, those that have to drive in suburbanites, those that live in the country. Now, some suburbanites, because they're so ideologically left, they'll think, well, if I'm buying $4 a gallon gas, this is helping the environment. That is one of the most idiotic arguments that they have to justify to themselves that you'll ever hear. Me buying $4 a gallon gas is going to make the world cleaner. No, it just takes money out of your pocket. That's all it does. That's all it does. It doesn't make the world cleaner. You're not buying less gas. I mean, if, if you live outside of a city and you got to drive in every day, are you going to move closer into the city? No, you're not buying less gas. You're going to buy the same amount of gas. Now, you might get a more fuel-efficient car. Maybe that happens. But that's not the way that automobile manufacturing is trending right now. 
Ford Motor Company, for example, is not going to be building cars anymore. They're only building trucks and SUVs, except for the Mustang. Well, the Mustang doesn't get great gas mileage, but they're dumping their cars, from what I understand. This is what I've heard. So you're going to get pickup trucks. You're going to get SUVs and larger SUVs. I mean, they've got the Excursion back again or something like it. I think it's the Expedition XL or something, whatever it is. They've got these big SUVs again. Lincoln doing the same thing. So you're going to look at American automobile manufacturers going in the direction of bigger and bigger. You know, so are we really... I mean, Now you can say, well, that's because we've had two dollar a gallon gas for so long. Well, isn't that great? I mean, isn't it great to be able to save money? Look, the government's not going to lessen how much money they take from that gallon of gas. When you look at, uh, you know, about 70 cents of every gallon of gas goes to a government in some some level. No, they're not going to cut that. In fact, they're only going to increase that, I'm sure. They're not going to cut the tax. It doesn't matter. The poor gasoline station is only making five cents or less typically on a gallon of gas. A nickel or less for every gallon they sell. It's not a lot. The government makes a tremendous amount of money. In fact... It's been argued that the government's profit margin on a gallon gas is higher than the oil companies that produce and refine and make that gasoline. So government doesn't want you to, to buy less gas. They want to brainwash you into thinking that buying $4 a gallon gas is good for you. So higher energy prices. We're going to see higher, uh, we're going to see higher heating oil prices and propane prices. You stop fracking, which is, of course, the Democrats want to do. Welcome to more expensive natural gas. And natural gas has been a godsend for the United States because it's produced a cheap amount of energy, a high amount of cheap energy, I should say. So fossil fuels are under attack in the United States, and wind turbines and solar panels and all that nonsense is not going to change any of that. So your heating bill, your gasoline bill are going to go up in the next two years. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. This is what I'm saying. I think the Democrats are going to step in it, and there's going to be a reaction to this. Where it comes, if the, if the reaction is going to be strong enough with all the other things going on to get rid of this, I don't know. But certainly, um, there's going to be a reaction. Single-payer single, single health care is coming, I say, in the next two years. The Democrats are going to push it. Biden has said he doesn't really want to do it. In fact, on the debate stage, he said, I'm the only one who doesn't believe it. But again, he's not, he's not important here. The left is going to hijack the party. They're going to take it over. Because the left is unified in one thing. They think government is their thing. It has to be some government solution to something. So they all believe in that. It's just a matter of degrees and how much they want to go. But I think single-payer health care is coming. Uh, you're going to see an expansion of Medicare and Medicaid. Medicaid in particular. You're going to see that maybe somebody can be a child on a, on a, on a health care plan into their 30s. I mean, who knows? You know, Maybe until you're in your 50s, you can be on your, pa- your parents' health care plan. But the idea is to move this, to move to a single-payer system, and we're going to see it, little doubt. Uh, higher taxes, definitely from the Biden administration. I mean, he's saying we're not going to see higher taxes for anyone making over you know four hundred fifty thousand dollars a year. Anyone making under that, excuse me, you're not going to see any higher taxes. I don't believe it. I think you're going to see some higher taxes in other ways. And of course, as you increase energy costs, if we spend a lot of money, inflation is going to hit. That's going to be a tax. It's, that's an unseen tax. So we're all going to be paying more. Our, our, the value of our money is going to go down. We are looking at a situation where we are going to be hammered financially by a Biden administration. Now, whether this is going to translate into more people getting out and voting against Joe Biden, 
I don't know. I think the 2020 election in many ways was not a referendum, uh, not, not a, a vote for Joe Biden. It was a referendum on Donald Trump for a lot of people, and they just wanted Trump out. Does that mean Biden is going to have that same kind of popularity? I don't think so. I think particularly if voting ever goes back to a situation, I, I, who knows if the Democrats are going to try to pull it. We, we, we're, people are too sick to go out and vote, vote uh, in person. Who knows if they're ever going to go back to that? So if we ever go back to a vote-in-person system, which we should, we should have an election day, not an election week or a month. You shouldn't be able to vote uh, you know, by mail unless you're an absentee ballot. That shouldn't happen. So if we go back to an election day, I think you're going to see a major shift back the other way, at least at some point. Because I will say this, Republicans get out in person. Democrats were able to do this because they don't. Uh, so I mentioned, you know, this is some notes I made. I mentioned, you know, increasing uh, drag on the dollar, higher inflation. Of course, we're already going to see higher, more immigration. Uh, immigration is going to be another big issue. We're going to see a, a, a tremendous number of people flooded in the United States. It doesn't mean Trump was doing a very good job with this. In fact, deportations were less under Donald Trump than they were under Joe Biden. I think you are going to see some Biden attacks on quote-unquote, assault rifles. Who knows? Congress might pass another assault weapons ban. They might do something like that. I think that's potentially going to happen in the next two years. You might get enough Democrats in the Senate to block it, but probably not. So I think you're going to see an assault weapons ban, or at least you're going to see something like that. What they're going to do is go after, going to pass a tax on these things, or they're going to pass some kind of you know ban on ammunition. They're going to do something that's going to make it more difficult to have quote-unquote, assault weapons. Um, of course, all that will be challenged in court. And I think looking at the current court composition, the Democrats would lose, which brings me to the next point. All it's going to take is one big case for the Democrats to lose in the next two years, and you will see court packing. And in fact, I think that is what's going to happen. Not that there's going to be court packing, but I think what might happen is you're going to see a loss of an independent judiciary in these next two years because the Republicans, the five or six, actually now six majority on the Supreme Court, you can't really count John Roberts that much, but the six majority is going to be aware that should they act out in a way that the Democrats don't like, if they rule in a way the Democrats don't like, court packing is coming. So just the threat of it I think, would do enough to keep the Republicans voting with the establishment or ruling with the establishment on these particular issues. They think that if they don't, they're going to get court packed. And once that happens, I mean, the only way to undo it is to add more judges. So if the Republicans come in, they can add more judges, but they're not going to do it during the Biden administration. So if, the, if there is a court packing situation taking place for at least four years, you're going to see a nasty Supreme Court, and you're going to get all kinds of stuff because we've got executive government and judiciary, government by judiciary. We don't really have legislative government anymore. It's a farce. I think you're going to see expansion of our military engagements around the world, particularly with Iran. In fact, I just heard that Warren, Senator Warren of Virginia, is out there saying China's a big threat. Well, Trump was excoriated for saying the exact same thing. But now that Biden's in office, well, Trump's, uh, China's a big threat. You see, this is where all the politics, it's all just stupid. Americans are being duped by rhetoric. This is why I say rhetoric is the biggest problem moving forward in American politics. Because it's chants, it's slogans, it has no substance, it's idiotic. We saw the same thing in the 1850s. When you've got Southerners being called vomit, devils, 
I mean, where do you go from there? How, how do you reconcile with that? How do you get to a point where you can have a unity in government when that's what you're doing? And that's exactly what's happening to Trump supporters right now. To Republicans. They're being called all kinds of... We're putting up razor wire in the District of Columbia because we think Trump supporters are going to come and storm the Capitol. I mean, what is that actually saying <clears throat> to Trump supporters? What does that actually say? This is the real danger of the Biden administration. It's the real danger, though, of executive government in general. I said this, I've said this since I've had this podcast. I wrote it in my book, Nine Presidents Who Screwed Up America. The real problem with America is not ideology, even though ideology is problematic. The real problem is executive government and unitary executive government. When you don't have federalism, when you don't have checks on the center, when all of that's gone, you get the mess that we have in Washington, D.C. right now. Because if the center cannot be corralled by the constituent parts, then you will never have a situation where you have good, effective government again. You just won't have it. You can't have it. Because if the center is going to have complete and uncontested control over their own power, they will never weaken themselves. Trump was an aberration. I will say this. I believe Trump was an aberration, and even Trump wasn't that great. Look, he spoke a lot like you know Pat Buchanan at times or some other people, but he never governed that way. I mean, uh, Trump was terrible on things like the Second Amendment. He was terrible on, on economic uh, government. I mean, look, economy and government, he was terrible on it. There's no economy in this federal government. It's awful. More money is spent in the Trump administration than the Obama administration. You could say, well, it's all COVID. Government had to do it. Well, who, who created the situation? Government. Government created all the situation with COVID, not, not the other way around. COVID didn't create that. The governments didn't have to react the way they did. But they understood that it's election year. If they don't do something, they're going to get buried at the, at the polls, which is what essentially happened. So these are all very important things, I think, moving forward. Uh, when you look at what's going to happen in the next two years or critical, we're gonna, you're going to hear a lot about the first 100 days, which is just a bunch of FDR nonsense. Uh, there, we shouldn't even talk about that. I mean, that's going back to executive government. We don't want executive government, whether it's from Trump, Biden, Obama, Bush. Executive government is bad for liberty. Executive government is bad for the Constitution. Executive government leads to a stronger judicial branch because uh, there's going to be more reliance put on the, that branch of government to check the power of the others. The legislature punching all, pun punting all the responsibility to the executive. I mean, this is, this is why we have some of the mess we do in Washington, D.C. today. And all of this was predicted by John C. Calhoun and his disquisition on government. I mean, that's why I say that book is so important. Anyways. So some predictions for 2020 through or 2021, I should say, through 2023. We are going to be witnessing a very strange inaugural. There's a lot of parallels between 1850, 1850s, 1861, but not in the way the left would like you to think. In fact, they want you to say these right wingers are going to create a civil war tomorrow. It's not going to happen. I mean, this is just stupidity to even say anything like that. Nobody wants that. I might say nobody. I'm sure some people do. Some knuckleheads out there somewhere want that. But the fact is, what we're looking at is a situation where Biden is not going to unify. He's going to divide. 
And then what happens from there? Again, the last time we had a president from Pennsylvania who was supposed to be a unifier, we had a major disaster in, uh, in 1861. And I think, I mean, whether we're heading for that now, nobody knows. I don't think Americans are independent enough or independent thinkers enough to do anything like that, to pull anything like that off today. Uh, but who knows? Uh, we could be uh, witnessing some very strange things in the next couple of years and very dangerous and scary things in many ways in the next couple of years. But that is my Biden 2020 inaugurations tomorrow. We'll see what happens. I won't be watching. Probably not. I might tune it in. I have no idea. But uh, this is January 19th. Remember, use that coupon code just to wrap up Lee at McClanahan Academy on the War and Reconstruction class. Get it for $199 for the next couple of days, 19th, 20th, and 21st. I'll see you next time on the Brian McClanahan Show. See you then. (laughs) 